Amen. Well, I have the privilege this morning of continuing a series that I started last week, and we've simply been calling this series The Wonderful Cross. And yes, as we approach Easter, it makes us think about the cross. It makes us think about the work that Jesus did for us to secure our salvation, secure our eternal life, to take the punishment of sin, death, hell, and the grave upon him so that we might be free and so that we might be raised to new life with him. So it's not uncommon for Christian churches to focus on the cross. This, by the way, is the first cross series that we've ever done in the four years that we've been open here as a Christian church. And I thought it time for us to take several weeks, particularly weeks leading up to Easter, to focus on the wonderful cross. And the goal of this series is to simply focus on the importance, the significance, the meaningfulness of the cross of Christ. And as I mentioned last week, a lot of things can go right in your life if you can remember this simple principle that we set forth last week. And that is keep the main thing the main thing, right? We talked about that a little bit last week. To keep the main thing, the most important thing, at the highest priority spot on your list is a way to ensure that a lot of things in life will go right. It's to ensure that we'll stay on the right track, our priorities will be in order, and the main thing, the most important thing in our life, is a great editor of everything else that falls below it. So the stakes are really high when we come to figuring out what the main thing is, the most important thing is. To have the wrong thing as the main thing seeks to edit the rest of our life in an unhelpful way. But I found to keep the main thing, the right thing, at the top of that list of priorities kind of edits my list of other things in a way that's really helpful, really beneficial to me as a husband, as a follower, and especially as a person of faith. And this keeping the main thing, as I said last week, is especially important when it comes to faith because the main thing as it relates to faith is the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, this cross of Christ sounds like a load of rubble to those who are headed for destruction, those on the outside of faith. This is absolutely foolishness to them. But for those of us who have been enlightened, those of us who've heard this message and have taken in this message and have received this message, for us, it's the real deal. For us, it's the most significant demonstration of the power of God that we see in Scripture all the way through. For us, it is the power of God. In other words, if the cross did not happen or if it's been embellished or augmented in any way, if the cross isn't legit, then God's a liar. Not only is God a a liar, but we're suddenly on the hook for our own sin. And the Bible is not worth the paper it was written on. But if the opposite is true, if the cross did happen, if the cross is legit, then God is trustworthy. That we're not on the hook for our own sin, and we can trust what Jesus says to us in Holy Scripture. And last week we focused on the centrality of the cross and we opened by looking at a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. And Paul talking to the Corinthian church basically said, listen, the most important thing that I talked to you about or the central thing, the most significant thing that I talked to you about when I came to you was the cross of Christ. 
Now, Paul talked about a whole lot of other things, but basically what Paul was saying is you forget everything else. If you have a short memory regarding everything else, don't forget this one thing. Don't forget what I set forth as the most important, and that is the cross of Christ. And hopefully last week I made a very strong and convincing case for the fact that the cross was both very important and very necessary. Both very important and very necessary. All important things aren't necessary, but the cross for us is both very important and very necessary. And I think a natural question that might arise as a result of uh, considering the importance and the necessity of the cross, uh, an important question that might follow that is, okay, so what? Not so, excuse me, not so what in a dismissive sense, not so what in an indifferent sense, but okay, you've got my attention. The cross is important. It's the most significant thing. It's a powerful demonstration of God's power and his care and concern for us. So what? In other words, what difference does it make? What difference does it make then to put the cross front and center? What difference does it make to take this message of the cross and the work of the cross and put it into play in my life? So what? What difference does it make? Help me understand how I'm supposed to walk this thing out day by day in my relationships, with my finances, right? In Christian community, with my vocation at work. So what? What difference does it make? And if you're asking that question, I'm glad that you're here today Because I have just the thing for you. So this week, we're going to be focusing on a message that I'm simply calling living in the shadow of the cross. Living in the shadow of the cross. And sometimes when you hear to live in the shadow of something or to be in the shadow of something, it's kind of negative, right? Maybe you had to live in the shadow of a sibling or an influential parent or, you know, somebody who you were in competition with. And that person kind of loomed over you, their reputation, their example or whatever was good about them. You lived in their shadow and it was hard to shake, you know, what they had done or their influence or whatever. So living in the shadow doesn't sound really good. But if you're living in the shadow of something good, something protective, right, something positive, then that's a good thing. That's a good thing because a shadow creates this picture of nearness, proximity, right? A covering, protection, right? So to live in the shadow of the cross means we live near the cross. We live near an understanding of the cross. And therefore, the cross being close to us, being near to us, uh, imposes itself on us in a way that causes a major difference in our life. So I want to focus this morning on what it looks like to live in the shadow of the cross. In other words, to let the cross meaning and significance deeply impact how we live our life. Deeply impact how we live our life. Because if the cross doesn't impact our life, if this message that we rant and rave about and have special services for and print special bulletins for, if this message doesn't deal with the nuts and bolts of our life, then we're wasting our time. If this message of the cross, the most significant event in all of human history, if it doesn't impact how I live my day-to-day life, we're wasting all of our time. But the good news for all of us is that it deeply impacts how we live our life, and that's what I want to unpack today. As we look at a passage in Romans chapter 6 this morning, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6. Please turn with me there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, you probably should. And if you are looking for a Bible because you don't want to be embarrassed this morning, there are Bibles that we provide on the edges of your row. And you can turn to Romans chapter 6 for us. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, at home, you can feel free to take one of those Bibles 
as a gift from us to you. If you've been collecting them, <laughs> just slowly bring them back and say you found it in a parking lot or something, okay? We won't judge you. At least I won't. Romans chapter 6, <laughs> we'll begin at verse 1. But let me pray for us before we start. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross and all of its significance. Thank you, Lord, that it's not some fuzzy, abstract idea just floating in another world somewhere. But this is actual, real-life stuff that has a real-life impact on our everyday life. It calls us to change. It calls us and challenges us to move closer to you, Lord, and to live the abundant life that you've intended for us from the very beginning. So we don't make light of this today, Father. We approach this subject, we approach the cross with great seriousness and great reverence, Lord. And we ask, dear Lord, that you would show us, teach us, instruct us, Lord, as to how to live within the shadow of the cross. And the truth of your word, Lord, be made clear to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light, your message of grace and hope would shine through this morning, God. Uh, put power on these words that you've given me to speak. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Romans chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 1. And I just want to give you a little bit of context uh, about the book of Romans. Uh, Like I said last week, you know, Paul didn't just write these general letters and go down to the copy shop, make copies, and send them, you know, just to all the churches, the same letter. Paul was writing these specific letters to specific churches and specific cultural context now different parts of the world and he was dealing with the specific issues that they needed to deal with as a christian as christians trying to navigate what it means to live and be a person of faith in their particular cultural context so these letters were tailor-made for the churches that paul were writing to and in this particular letter this letter uh, is, a, is a letter of introduction to the church at rome um, paul was introducing himself to them and now it seems odd that paul would be introducing himself to a church that he oversees, but Romans is a little bit unusual because Paul didn't specifically plant this church, right? Much of the letters that Paul were sending out or uh, to churches that he had a hand in planting, right? But Romans was not particularly, the the church at Rome was not a church that he particularly started. In fact, scholars believe that the church at Rome started as a result of, you know, what happened in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost, right? And those believers that were inspired and filled with the Holy Spirit took the gospel back to Rome. And what we see in Rome, as we see in this letter, is the Christian church that uh, came about as a result of that. So Paul plans to go and to give them some apostolic and pastoral insight. He hasn't quite made it there. But he's sending ahead of him this letter to help instruct them and deal with some of the issues that they're dealing with. And the book of Romans doesn't read like a typical letter from Paul to the church. The book of Romans reads almost like a statement of faith, right? On the back table there, if you want to know what the vineyard believes and what the vineyard is about, we have statements of faith that lets you know what we believe, lets you know our doctrine, lets you know the nuts and bolts of what we believe about the Christian faith. And the book of Romans, if you look at it from cover to cover, it reads almost like a statement of faith. Uh, Very clear and on record, it lays out uh, the Christian faith. It lays out the Christian faith bit by bit, point by point. And that laying out the Christian faith includes Paul talking a lot about the finished work of Christ on the cross, specifically what the implications are for living, you know, our life in a day-to-day. And that's where we pick up here. Romans chapter 6. I'll read verse 1 through 14. Well then, Paul says, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? 
Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live excuse me, new lives. Verse 5, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for we die with Christ. Excuse me, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Verse 8, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live and do not give in to sinful desires. Verse 13, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. You used to use your body as an instrument to do what is right. Excuse me. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Good news. Good news. Very informational, right? Reads kind of like a textbook on the Christian faith, right? But I think that that's Paul's point here. That's his goal. And Paul opens this chapter, he opens this section with one of the most uh, uh, important rhetorical questions that we see in all of, all of scripture. Paul says, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And he puts it to us plain. He says, listen, I know grace is a wonderful thing, but do you think that to get more grace, we should keep sinning? Do you think that that's a good idea? Would you take that approach in your marriage? Right? Every time my wife gets mad, she goes in the kitchen and she bakes banana bread. I really like banana bread. So let me just make her mad a lot. That sounds like a terrible idea. That sounds a terrible idea, right? And Paul said, listen, should we keep sinning so that God can just give us more and more and more grace? He says, of course not. That's absolutely ridiculous. Why? Because we have died to sin. And how can we continue to live in it if we've died to sin? So Paul opens this passage and sets the stage for this understanding of the cross and particularly how the cross is supposed to impact our lives. He opens this passage by talking about two very important things. He talks about grace and he talks about baptism, right? Paul talks about the wonderful grace of God, which is through which we are saved, right? And grace is simply undeserved favor. It's good stuff coming from God that you didn't earn. It's good stuff from God that you didn't deserve. It's a little different from mercy, right? Mercy is an undeserved, like, second chance, an undeserved, you know, like you get a pardon for something that you're on the hook for. And that's wrapped up in the cross as well. But the grace of God, he pours out his goodness, he pours out his faithfulness, he pours out his love on people who don't deserve it at all. That's the wonderful grace of God. And Paul points to the wonderful grace of God and just kind of sets the stage for the work of the cross. 
The work of the cross is God doing something that cost him a whole lot, that was painful, that was shameful. It cost him something to pay for something that was valuable for us for all eternity. And that is our salvation, and that is our freedom, the wonderful grace of God. And Paul also points in these first few verses of this passage to baptism. Baptism, we'll have our baptism class in just a few weeks. But Paul basically says, listen, I'm talking to a Christian crowd here, right? Rome, the book of Romans is written to believers. Jewish and Gentile believers that have assembled to, to make up the church at Rome. Paul's talking to believers here. And Paul is assuming that they've accepted the message of Jesus Christ, they've given their life to him, and that they've been baptized, which was an inseparable practice in the early church to coming to faith. And But basically, Paul points out here is that when you went through that external symbol of baptism, basically, you died to yourself, you were buried, and you were raised to new life in Christ. I don't know if you knew that, but that's what baptism is symbolic of, right? I don't know if you just thought we were having a pool party here, right? But baptism is symbolic of you dying to yourself, being buried under the water, and being raised to new life, right? We identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And Paul says that this is, this is exactly what, what's happening, right? You've received the grace of God. You've connected with his suffering, his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And through that, you've accepted the finished work of the cross through grace and you've identified with him through baptism, right? So because of that, there's some significant things that we all have to understand. There's a significant meaning to those things. There's some significant changes that need to be made in our life that are a result of the cross of Christ, should we choose to engage it, should we choose to accept it. And I want to point out specifically two very important things this, this morning as we answer the question, so what? What difference does a cross make? For us to lean into this, for us to accept it, what does it look like? What does it mean? And there's two things that I want to point out this morning. The first thing is that the cross changes our identity. The cross changes our identity. And that word identity has been somewhat of a buzzword in this church for the last year or so because it's very significant. The cross changes our identity. And we've been defining identity for the last year or so as what God had in mind when he made you. Now, some of us confuse our identity to be what we're doing right now, whether it's good or bad. If you ask somebody, who are you? They're likely to tell you what they do. They're likely to tell you what they've been up to, right? But as it relates to faith, the significance of our identity, who we are in Christ, deals not with what we're doing, but it deals with who God had in mind, what God had in mind for us when he created us. I always say that it really matters what the original architect or the original builder intended when something is, is being made. I look at this chair. I could use this chair for a number of things. I can use it sort of as a mini ladder. I could prop it open, use it to prop open the door. I can do a number of things with this little chair right here, right? But it's still a chair. If I go back to the architect, if I go back to the designer, if I go back to the builder, I say, listen, what was the intended use of that thing? Did you build this so that I can maybe misuse it by putting my cup here and my paper here? And he would say, no, no, I designed that thing to be a chair. I designed it to be, to be sat in. And the same thing is true for us as followers of Jesus. 
Our identity is what God had in mind for you, Mike. God had in mind for you, Marisol. Or God had in mind for you, Jenny, when he created you. And that includes a sort of a general purpose that we all have to love God and to love people. But it also includes the very specific thing that God put you on this earth for. It includes the specific gifts and talents that he's given you for your particular life, for your particular mission here on this earth. Our identity is what God had in mind for us when he created us and the cross for us, for those who choose to engage it, for those who choose to accept it, the cross changes our identity. It changes our identity. Or you could say it a different way, it brings into sharper focus or it clarifies our identity. It's the people who are supposed to be used for Christ's purposes, for his glory. And I think that whenever you start to talk about identity, identity certainly tells you who you are, but I think a lot of identity deals with who we're not and who you're not. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things that Paul gets at here, starting in verse 5. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Now, this is a great identity piece. This is a significant identity piece, particularly for those who are dealing with guilt, particularly for those who are dealing with shame, particularly for those of us who find it difficult to leave our past behind us and find it difficult to acknowledge and accept the fact that God has forgiven us and he's made us new and he's made us clean. This is really huge as it relates to identity, that we are no longer slaves to sin. This is huge. This is huge. To be a slave to something means that you're the property of something. It means that you're controlled by something or someone. It means that you're owned by something or someone. It means that you don't have rights. It means that you don't have a say. And I can't think of anybody who has been enslaved that thought, man, this is a really sweet deal for me. This is, this is a great deal. It's this having no rights and having no voice. And being shackled and being in chains. But this is a really really sweet deal. I got to get my buddies and tell them about this. Slavery, generally speaking, is a bad thing. Particularly being slave to sin. And the Bible from cover to cover, especially Paul, uses this term slavery a lot. Interestingly enough, Paul uses... um, you know, the term slave to Christ. I mean, that's the only good thing in the whole world it's good to be a slave to is a slave to Christ. But what the cross has set us free from and what the cross basically says we're no longer tied to is sin. We're no longer a slave to sin. And that's good news for all of us. It's especially good news for, you know, the folks who really have a difficult time understanding that God has made them new. And that he's given them a clean slate. And that they're no longer on the hook for those silly decisions. And for the foolish things and the shameful things that they've done in their past. And not only, I mean, this, this, is, this is exciting news. In fact, some of you ought to just do a couple of Jesus laps because you hear such good news right now, right? Don't have to. I advise against it. But this is who we aren't anymore. We aren't a slave to our sin. We aren't. We aren't. 
And I think it's worth camping out there and saying it two or three more times. We aren't a slave to our sin anymore. We aren't a slave to our sin. And if we're not a slave to our sin, those things that pull us in the wrong direction, those things that have been ruining our life since, you know, day one, if we're not a slave to sin, if we're not that anymore, then what are we? Our identity also defines who we are. Who we are. And Paul tells us that we're dead to sin or we're disconnected, excuse me, we're de- we're, we're, we were dead or disconnected from God because of our sin, but now we are alive. Now we're alive. And this is even better news. Paul says in verse 10, when, when he died, Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And basically what Paul is summing up, he's saying the cross broke the power of sin over your life. The cross broke the power of, your, of sin over your life. Now here's, here's, the, here's, here's where that becomes problematic. Here's where there's a disconnect between what we read on the page and what we experience and live out in our everyday life. Because half the room is thinking, boy, that's really good news But I still struggle in some areas. Now, maybe you don't struggle. Maybe you've arrived and maybe your wings arrive tomorrow. But if we just want to be real about this today, we still have what seems like an ongoing struggle with being pulled in the wrong direction. We have a taste for certain things that don't seem to want to go away. So it's hard for us to reconcile just what Paul is getting at when he says we're no longer a slave to sin, that the cross broke the power of sin, and therefore we're dead to sin. What exactly does that mean? And I think what that dead to sin means there, I don't think it means that we will no longer struggle, that we'll no longer have issues. Paul himself says that he deals with issues, uh, things tugging him in the wrong direction, things that he knows are unproductive and unhealthy, having somewhat of a pull on him. Basically, what being dead to sin means is being unresponsive to sin, unresponsive to this internal, you know, default sin nature that we were born with. You ever walked up on something that was dead? I'm the only one. Well, dead things don't move a whole lot. They don't respond to stimulus, right? They don't wiggle and jiggle. I mean, dead things just tend to do one thing really well, and that's just be dead and unresponsive, right? So what Paul is getting at here is saying we're dead to sin, which means that we have the power through Christ now to be unresponsive to sin and sinful nature. Doesn't mean that those things that, 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 that call unto us won't beckon unto us loudly and don't, won't seem attractive. Doesn't mean that we'll walk out of this place and be perfect, you know. Old school, you know, uh, saints used to sing a song like, when I came to Christ, I looked at my hands and they looked new. I looked at my feet and they did too. I, I, that didn't happen to me when I became a Christian. In fact, some of the negative patterns of my life, some of the snacks of life that I had given into still had a hold on me in ways that I'd probably go to the grave with in terms of just being enticing. Develop a taste for certain things that tend to stick around even though I found hope and faith in Christ. You understand what I'm saying? But the difference is that stuff doesn't rule me anymore. The difference is I don't have to come running when that thing calls me because I'm a new person. 
Because I'm alive to Christ. I'm alive in Christ. That means the cross of Christ did exactly what it was supposed to do, which is break the chains that hold me down. Which was eliminates the power that those things had over me that would enslave me, that would draw me in over and over to doing things I knew would ruin my life. Doing things that I knew would destroy my marriage and knew would destroy my body and knew would destroy my reputation and knew would bankrupt me relationally. And some of us are here today and we're held captive by some stuff. And the last time you did that, you say, I'm not doing that anymore. Today's the last day. Not overeating anymore. I'm not, you know... I'm not just going to do this anymore. I'm not looking at pornography anymore. I spent all night looking at this. The sun is coming up. This is the last time. I'm not going to be cruel to my children, my wife anymore. I see the light. I'm not going to do it anymore. And guess what happens? As soon as that trigger hits, guess what? Here we are again. Here we are again. But to truly lean into the cross and to truly accept the finished work of the cross means that sin is powerless now. Because Jesus paid the price. And in paying the price, he broke the power of sin and death. And because of that, we don't have to respond to sin in the same way that we used to. The lusts of the flesh. All those besetting sins. All those things that have strong ties to us. Listen, we don't have to be a slave to those things anymore. Now, a lot of that stuff realistically gets broke off of you and continues to be broken off of you as you continue to walk closer to Jesus, particularly as you walk that out in community here. Let's just be real about this. This isn't some magic wand thing that happens. We got to lean into this stuff. We got to participate. We got to live our lives as if this stuff is legit. And a lot of that means walking step by step out of the muck and out of the mire closer to Jesus. A big part of that is doing that with brothers and sisters in community. Some of you realize today that you were doing way better in community than you were when you took a break. You're doing way better. You were conquering sin and you were walking in this new identity. You were sin power was, was losing its hold on you as long as you were, you know, coupled with brothers and sisters in faith. And you were walking this thing out together. And somehow the enemy got you to take a little break. He convinced you that, you know, this thing is working good. You're cured. You know, you've got this. You've got some long bootstraps. Just, just do it. And here you are. So sin's power is broken. But to lean into this means to fully understand and fully accept it. That we're new. We have a new identity. We now identify with Christ. We're a new creation. Right? A new creation. Second Corinthians uh, 5 verse 17. Paul says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. That's more good news. Man, I love new stuff. You ever got something new you're just proud of? New car, you know, new shoes, new guitar, whatever you're into. Something about something new, man. And God says, you, as broken as you are, your past and your history and all the stuff you've done, what if Jesus says, listen, that's cool. Just trade. I'll give you a new one. I'll give you a new one. Right? I'll give you a new one. How about I give you a clean slate? Something untarnished. Something that's got to clean. Well, how, about, how about that? And the reality is that when we lean into the cross and when we understand our new identity, we, walk, we understand that we're working with a clean slate here. 
a new life. We're a new creation. Now, that's what happens when we lean into the cross and when we understand it, when we come to faith. But guess what? If you don't walk that out, if you don't believe that you're new, if you don't believe or live like Christ has gotten you off the hook for all the things that you've done and all, the, all your sin and your shame and your brokenness, if you don't live like it, oh, what a waste. What, what a waste. What a waste to have something new and still prefer the old tattered, broken down, beat up stuff. What a waste. What a waste. If any person be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and everything is new. We're alive to God in Christ. And since we're alive and since we're new, there ought to be some differences in how we walk out our life. Right? There ought to be some differences. Up until now, we've just been talking about our identity and all this other stuff. Well, guess what? When I look at you, I can't really see your identity. Right? When I look at your life and I observe you for a while, I can't really see your identity. It's kind of an abstract idea. But what our identity does is it does control the outworking of our day-to-day life. And if we've truly taken this stuff to heart, if we truly believe and we truly lean in, as I challenge us weekly to do then it's going to make a difference in how we live. So not only does the cross give us a new identity, the cross changes how we live. The cross changes how we live, at least it should. So we're asking and answering the questions, so what? cross is central, the cross is important, it's, it's necessary for us, great. What, what difference does it make? We've talked about identity, and now we want to spend some time here talking about how the cross should change the way we lived. The cross, man, has to have a deep impact on how we live, how we interact with people, how we spend our money, how we relate to our family, right? What we do with our time, what our hobbies and interests are. If the cross doesn't impact that, then we need to go take a second look. Cross doesn't change at all how you live and how you relate. Then something's wrong. Be ashamed if all this cross stuff that we talk about had no impact on the daily nuts and bolts of our life. Here's what Paul has to say about it. Don't let sin control the way you live, verse 12. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Now, Paul has spent some time in the first half of this little passage talking about who we are. The work of Christ and what he's done for us and our new identity. Second, you know, half of this thing he spends talking about how this should look. The outworking of our life should look as a result of our, our understanding of what the cross has done and what it provides for us. And basically what Paul is saying is that God wants to change you. I know you thought you were all right. No, you thought that you were okay because you're comparing yourself to somebody who's worse off than you, right? But in, 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 in the faith here, we, 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 there's only one person we need to compare ourselves to. And that is Jesus Christ. 
Because you'll always find something to work on if you compare yourself to Jesus. If you compare yourself to me, you might come out ahead and you might, you know, feel the need to come and talk to me and admonish me, right? And I'm open to that, mostly. But we need not neglect compare ourselves to Christ, to look in the mirror of God's word. Say, well, how do we stack up when we look at Jesus? And that's important because God wants to constantly, man, constantly change us, and we use the word transform a lot, transform us to look more and more like his son Jesus each and every day. And I tell you, if you commit yourself to that, you're going to have some work to do every day of your life. Puzzles me. The people who really want to just focus on the deep stuff of scripture. Hey, pastor, when are we going to do that series on revelations? When are we going to discuss the deep mysteries of Daniel? When are we going to unpack that? Well, when we get this love God, love people stuff down, then we'll tackle that. When we start to deal with some of these nuts and bolts of the faith, looking more like Christ, you know, then we'll probably dip into those waters. And those things are important. It's, you know, I, we like to be under the entire counsel of Scripture, so I'm partly joking when I say that. But mostly what I mean is sometimes we're focusing on the wrong things. And when we use Jesus as a mirror, we'll always find that there's something that God wants to, us to work on. We'll always come to the, reality, the, the realization that God wants to change us. Change us. And he's constantly challenging us throughout scripture. And Paul does this a lot in the book of Romans to give ourselves over to God. To give ourselves over to God. And some of you thought that meant coming to church every once in a while. Well, coming to church, excuse me, regularly. But Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, listen, submit your bodies. Give yourself to God as an offering, as a sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to him, Right? Give yourself over to him. And Paul just basically tells us where to start. He says, listen, start by letting God change the way you think. Give your whole self over to him. You just give your body and try to just memorize all these behaviors and all these rules and all these instructions. And you just want to be a robot, you know. It doesn't usually work that way. Paul says, listen, submit yourself to him and start with your mind. Start with your mind. It's hard to be a new person. If you haven't submitted how you think to God. And the reality is much of the stuff where we fall down, much of the sin that we get mixed up in, much of the, all the silliness that derail our life and have a deep negative impact on others, a lot of it starts up here. A lot of it starts up here. And so what Paul is saying is give yourself, give your body, give your whole self. Just lay it on the altar as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And the only thing terrible about a living sacrifice is it moves a lot. It keeps jumping off the altar. You know, every time something, you know, comes at it and wants to cut away at something, keep jumping off. But Paul challenges us to not let sin control the way we live. Don't let sin control the way you live. Paul goes on to say, don't let a single instrument, a single part of your body become an instrument to serve evil. To serve evil. In other words, he pulls this holy living out of the abstract and starts to give us some very specific guidelines for what it looks like to live by the Spirit and not to be controlled by our sinful desires and our sinful flesh. 
to truly be unresponsive, right, to the things of the flesh and to the sin that so easily wants to suggest a course for our life, Paul says the way you know that you're on the straight and narrow is that you will find that none of your body, no instrument of your body, is being used to carry out sinful things that break God's heart. Now, what if we took that to light? What if we really took that to heart? What if we said no part of who I am will be used as an instrument for evil? That means our mouths. Listen, if Christ doesn't impact the way you speak, then there's something wrong. And these days, when social media is probably the primary way many of us communicate, if, 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 if the cross of Christ and his statutes and his principles that he imposed on our life do not impact how we speak to and speak about others, we've missed a whole lot. And some of you have gotten saved, but your mouth hasn't got saved yet. And some of you have claimed to be converted, but you don't have a thoroughly converted Christian social media presence. Can I just talk about that for a second? This is the nuts and bolts of life. We weren't preaching about this 40 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, but this is where we live now. So what you type and what you forward and what you like and what you comment on, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's you speaking. That's you endorsing. That's you communicating. And how has the cross of Christ deeply impacted this instrument of your body? I could camp out there, but I won't. And some of us are bound in ways that have us using our bodies. Sexuality in ways that God considers evil, that he considers uh, unhealthy and sinful. And what it means for the cross of Christ to take hold of us. And when it means to demonstrate that this stuff is meaningful for us, means for us to seriously look at certain behaviors and seriously look at certain practices that just come so easily and come so natural to us. And I don't say this today to focus and harp on sin. That's not our, that's not our deal. We teach good news here. And the good news is that Christ has paid the price for you and me, and we don't have to live as slaves to this stuff. If that's the good news, then why are we doing it? If if that's the deal, then why are we rejecting it? And I come to tell you that you can be free from this stuff. That you can be free from this stuff. Those of you bound in sexual sin, those of you dealing with overeating and disgorging yourself, those of you who deal with uh, impulse control and are quick to speak and slow to listen, those of you who use various parts of your body as instruments of evil, that's not who you are anymore. That's not who you are. And I'm so glad that what we're doing is not who we are. I'm so, so glad that God doesn't look at us, see what we're doing, and say, well, that's, that's who you are. That's your identity. But Jesus comes and he says, listen, what are, you, what are you doing? This is not who you are. This is not who you are. You're better than this. Get, get up from there. Listen, shut that off. That's not who you are. That's not who I made you to be. That's not what I designed you for. Shut that off. Stop that. Don't say that. Why? Because I'm a big angry God and I'm walking around with the ruler? No, because if you're doing that, then you're not doing what I put you here for. And that's the big picture. When I'm doing this, I'm not doing that. 
And what's that? What's over here? What am I supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be loving God and loving people. And everything that sin does serves me and it harms others. Both God and people. And Jesus says to us, that's not who you are. Well, how do I know if I'm walking out and living out my identity? How do I know if the cross of Christ has impacted how I live? Well, look at what you do with the instruments of your life. I mean, a real close look. And if you're having some hard time viewing those things objectively, then ask somebody, ask your spouse. They'll be glad to tell you. They'll be glad to tell you. But if the cross doesn't deeply impact who we are, and how we live, then it is absolutely meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless. The cross changes our identity, and the cross deeply impacts how we live our day-to-day life. At least it should. So how do we put this all together? On worship team, you can come up. We've said the cross is central, that the cross is legit, it's important, and it's necessary. And we've asked and hopefully answered, so what? You know, what, what, what's the difference does it make? Has Christ, have you allowed Christ to change your identity? Do you see yourself as forgiven? you see yourself as a new creation? Or do you still sort of wrestle with the sort of shame and the guilt of the past? Do you still let the enemy come and just remind you of who you used to be, remind you of what you used to do? And do you fall into that trap all over again? Has the cross of Christ and the new identity that you found in Christ, has it shaped the nuts and bolts of how you live? For those who used to know you before, can they look at you and say, listen, that person is a new creation. There's something new about that person. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't talk like they used to. They just have a nicer disposition. They're generous. Like, why are they so generous all of a sudden? What's my point? My point is that if we've taken this series, then it shows on the outside. Where are you at today? Has the cross impacted your life in a deep and meaningful way? If it's not, then we just need to draw a little closer today. We need to go a little deeper today. And that's not some bootstrapping effort. That's just saying, man, we need to lean closer into Jesus. We need a little more Jesus today. So my prayer is that as we worship, that the power of God's spirit would just begin to just continue the work that God has already started in you. That God's voice and his identity, what he speaks over your life, would ring louder and truer than anything that anything else and anybody else, including yourself, would speak over you in this moment. And that as we move in and press in closer, we lean into this, the Lord will continue to do a work in us and will be new creations. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for this sobering message today. God, I thank you that you put a mirror in front of us and you constantly show us who we really are. And you do that by showing us who you really are. God, I pray specifically for those of us who wrestle and who struggle and who uh, have identity issues today. God, who they're claiming to be or believing that they are something other than who you've created them to be, Father, I pray that you would break that uh, by the power of your spirit today. God, I pray for those of us who are stuck in patterns and behaviors that are sinful and selfish. 
wrestling with besetting shameful sins, things that we've not even fully disclosed to anybody ever, I pray that the power of those things will be broken today as we worship you. God, as we, pro- as we worship you today and as we rehearse and speak over and over what you've done for us and the significance of the cross, Lord, I pray that we begin to sink in that we are new creations this morning that the old has passed away, and that all things have become new. Would you make that real to us as we stand in your presence today, as we worship? As we worship you. God, we ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.